Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Mask near Athotep in our Travel to the Orient series. And so, as you may be aware, the group has decided to travel to Shanghai in the next leg of their investigation. And in this series of episodes, we're going to sort of look in on them as they traverse the oceans a second time. And so, at the top of the show, we'd like to thank all of our listeners and our supporters. We truly have you to thank for such a journey. And the journey is far from over. So now, let's do introductions to my right. This is Tiffany, and I play Maeve O'Shea, and I got my flippy flappies on. You are, in fact, on a boat. <laughs> and to Miss O'Shea's right. This is Morgan. I play Lillian Lane, and we're going to Shanghai. Yeah, this is what you've asked for. You've been dreaming about it for so long. You're finally taking a trip out to the Far East. And for this session, last but most certainly not least... This is Jake. I'll be playing Jack Doyle. And uh, I think we've done enough damage here. It's time to move on. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think it's fair to say that you've done enough damage. Uh, I don't think Egypt will be the same. That's for certain. Deuces! (laughs) Now that you have likely helped destroy most of the city and the outer countryside, at least politically and mystically, uh, you are moving on. And the group has decided to move on in a very specific way. So as we raise the curtain tonight, we're going to do so from the back of an ocean liner. And this sort of uh, ocean, uh, I suppose, passenger vessel technically, because ocean liners are a little larger than the current ship you're on. But it makes no, it makes no, no true difference, really. The um, SS Ormuz has left Port Said behind probably a few hours ago. And the vessel is worthy of passengers such as yourself. So this ship is probably about half the size of the Aquitania, give or take. There's about eight decks here, roughly speaking. The Aquitania had about 10. Really, it's not the deck so much. It's the overall size of the ship and the passengers that it can it can hold. So the Ormuz, and this is sort of important for you to, to conceptualize the ship and get it in your head. Um, this, this ship, roughly speaking, holds about a thousand people, uh, passengers anyway, between first class and third class. So those are the only two classes aboard the ship. And it's really like a 30-70 split there. And so when the group secures its first pass passenger, its first class passenger cabins, they do so at a, at a premium. Um, most of the passengers who are on it are just trying to get to the Far East. They don't really care so much. And the great part about that for the group is the upper decks 
unlike the Aquitania, are pretty well open. And so staff cater to you fairly frequently. Uh, I think the biggest picture that you're going to get leaving Port Said and sort of heading into the ocean is the feeling that the job in Egypt, as best it could be explained, is done. Are there some regrets about things left undone or perhaps people left alive? Sure. But you know in your heart, Jack, that for the most part, with Omar dead, the, the brotherhood there is going gonna, is gonna to splinter. And yeah, there might be factions that pop up here and there, but if, if what Alexandra has planned, if you know even a tenth of what you assume she might be doing, it's going to be fairly easy pickings for what she has coming. You don't really think the Brotherhood is going to put up much of a fight, at least not, not without its high priest. And who knows what the Clive expedition may find. Uh, hopefully they don't find themselves in a pyramid facing off with whatever that was. If that was the Black Pharaoh or not, very hard to say. It sure looked like. So the Ormuz sets a fairly decent pace out of Port Said. But the officers there, when you get updates as far as the travel, this long trip east, they're not at all shy about telling you that it's going to take 25 plus days to reach Shanghai. They compliment you on your choice of vessel and hope that there's if there's anything they can do um, that you'll ask. Uh, the dining staff here is, again, probably not as uh, ostentatious, uh, as, as um, exemplary as the Aquitania, but the Aquitania also has the it has the finances brought by transatlantic travel. There's so much travel between England and the U.S. Um, they cater to those clientele. And that's not to say that the Ormuz is a shabby ship by any means. It has a barber. It has a gymnasium. It has a standard Bureau of Information where it can get cables. Heck, Jack, it even gets a newspaper. Right. So there's a, a mimeograph machine or some type of printing machine in back where they print out the news. Kind of specialized for the Armoos. It has a, has a letterhead all its own. And you get uh, international news, which is pretty cool. You read about a fire in Milan at one of the famed opera houses. It's sort of a, um, I wouldn't say it's a front pager, but it's pretty close. Um, there's a, a sportsman's deck on the back of the ship as well. So they let you know that if you're interested in um, in a number of sporting activities, whether it be shuffleboard or badminton or uh, shotguns, etc., there's um, more than enough space for you to enjoy yourself. Um, and then two, I think probably one of the more interesting portions would be that all of the dining and sort of theater activities here on the Armoos are tailored towards um, helping integrate you into sort of that oriental lifestyle. And so peppered among their pretty standard fare as far as music goes, there are plays and there are performances that are Eastern, mm -hmm. put on by Eastern performers, um, 
sort of this wide swath of, of Pan-Asian people. Um, there are even cooks and staff members that have that have those have many of the same um, nationalities that you're going to run into there. Uh, you also learn that the ship has several interpreters, and so it can interpret for five or six different languages, all the primary ones, so English, uh, Cantonese, French, German, um, and a, a couple of others, probably Spanish. You probably also would notice that all that too, that a lot of your interpreters and a lot of the news here too include news from Mexico. And this is probably where you first start to see your um, Mexican silver dollars be spent one for one with uh, U.S. dollars. So that would be something that you would be uh, become aware of. Your cabins are um, not, there's no communal area like you would get at a fancy hotel, but they do put you in a line of first class berths. So you have like sort of one section of the ship that's cordoned off for the group. And there are even a few spares. So you don't, you're not necessarily packed in uh, from people around you. No. Good. Uh, but the Ormuz sets under, sets out under good weather. And sailing away from Egypt is really pretty. Uh, it's a it's a very getting through that uh, that space is is very it's much easier to take Egypt from a boat far far away uh, in the lap of luxury than it is to somehow take it in person sometimes. So you'll be sa- uh, sailing out of the Red Sea, so down the Red Sea and then eventually into uh, the Gulf, which will lead into. Uh, the Arabian Sea, and then eventually the Indian Ocean. But that's days ahead. So I'd like to get an idea from, so we'll go around the table here, and we'll get an idea of the one thing, I suppose, one, how about one, how about this? One primary thing and one secondary thing that you would like to accomplish in this interval um, on board the Ormuz. And because of the people at the table, we'll just sort of limit our conversations to those who are here, mm-hmm. right? So we won't get any interaction from the doctor or from uh, Sam at this time because they're not with us. My primary thing is to learn Cantonese. Mm-hmm. My secondary thing is to to work on my knife skills. Okay. My primary goal is to improve my handgun skill. Just because I, I can't carry a shotgun with me around Shanghai. You know that. Maybe you can. <laughs> How big are your pants? <laughs> Not big enough to put over a shotgun, though. <laughs> okay, your secondary? And then my secondary is um, to raise my occult knowledge more. I have some from going to Miskatonic, but I'd really like to work with Maeve on raising that, you know, getting some more knowledge. Okay. And then you, Jack? My primary goal is also to learn Cantonese. And uh, I can help Maeve and um, Lillian with their knife and gun skills. Is that Would that be considered? Uh, yeah, I think what we'll do is if you'd like as your secondary to sort of put, put down um, training. That's yeah. what I'll put down here for you. And so what I'll allow you to do, um, provided that you have... in fighting brawl and 50% in handgun, Mm -hmm. you're considered a professional. And so what I'll allow you to do is act as their teacher and their, their guidance in that area. Okay. 
Oh, I'm almost a professional. Oh, well, maybe, maybe you'll get there. You might get there. You might get there indeed. Okay. That f- first couple, the first couple of days on the Ormus for, for the three of you are likely fairly laid back. It has been a very tumultuous time. And I think that your natural body rhythm of go, 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 go begins to finally fade. The first night, you probably wake up in a flop sweat, Jack, just because you're worried that there's something you've forgotten. And probably that second night, Lillian, you hear voices. You don't know where they come from. But after the second or third night, you suddenly sleep two or three extra hours than you remember wanting to. And you wake up that third day actually rested. Any wounds you've had have healed. You've managed to sort of recoup your inner fortitude. And it's probably really the morning of the third day as you're uh, you know, moving out into deeper waters that you get a sense of not being on, you know, the, the next series of heart attack moments for you. And that might even be a little unpleasant because you're so used to the action and the energy all the time. You might not know what to do with yourself. And that's when you think, oh, right, yeah, I have things that I, I want to accomplish. So you sit down to breakfast, the three of you. You're fairly certain that the doctor and Sam are a little deep in preparation for what they're going to do. And Lillian, you're fairly certain also from after getting a note from the doctor that he's going to want you present, that Sam's requested it. So at some point, you know, you're going to have to go see them. But the breakfast aboard the ship is not just pleasant. It's invigorating. Um, Either there's something in the coffee, which possibly could be. Or the sea air is finally sort of getting back into your body and getting you some sort of additional energy. Maybe it's that nothing has tried to kill you in 72 hours. And that's a sort of a welcome. I mean, we've managed to sit down for a meal and not have to plan salt or some other horrible thing. One of the staff members comes over to the table and he places a serving tray out sort of near the table and there's a white card on it. He does this to you, Lillian. Um, can I help you? A message for you. You uh, made a request. You sort of slightly remember the first night you were aboard the ship, Miss Lane. You remember, maybe it was a cloudy memory, but you remember asking some of the staff members about sort of um, how to get news You haven't really heard from your father or your family in some time. And so you inquired at some point about how to send telegrams or messages from the ship. Oh, I must have been really tired. I kind of worried about what I sent them. Thank you. I, I pick up the white card. You pick up the white card. You open it up and sort of this, um, textured paper. And as you run your hands over the textured paper, you feel slight raises in it just along the edges of your skin. And and you can see that the hairs on your, just the very light hairs in your arms starting to pick up, starting to stand up a little bit as the card unfolds. 
and you read a message and then read it again. And the first line starts off with, why haven't you come home? Your father is worried sick. He is not well. Please advise. And your mother's name is underneath it. Hmm. I, I take a moment to think about that. It's a note from my mother. It says, my father is not well. Obviously, not much I can do from on a boat. The, is the server still there? Um, He's stepped back several paces, but he's still there. Can I go through you to send a message back, or do I have to go and talk to the uh, the cable office? The Bureau of Information is certainly, you could see them, but I'm happy to take whatever message you like. He takes out a, a pen and takes a clean sheet of paper from his pocket in a rather swift fashion, sets it on the, the platter and holds it, and then stares at you. Dealing with urgent matters will come home when Ken... Try to keep it short and to the point. What is father's diagnosis? And then Lillian. He finishes. Very well. Thank you. I will send it right away. Thank you. You know, Lillian, if uh, we get to Shanghai and you need to go back to New York, we, we understand. Well, I'm, I'm not a doctor, so there's nothing I can do for my father. What the issue is first, my, my father was perfectly healthy when I left New York. You suddenly realize that it's been several months since you left New York. It sort of dawns on you. When she says it out loud, it sort of dawns on all of you that it's getting close to April now. And life has just turned into this wheel that spins. Yeah, and honestly, um, not to put it you know, too heavily, you know, saving, saving the world comes before, you know, my family. Because if we don't do that, there won't be any family to go back to. I think one thing you probably appreciate about the boat travel, Miss O'Shea, is that the sheer amount of warmth and sunlight on a boat, what's available, especially on the Red Sea and eventually out into the ocean is pretty spectacular. Probably uh, where I spend most of my mornings out on the deck. And there's a very vast deck here. It's really been something over the past couple of weeks, especially. Everything from your reconnection with your your sister, um, sort of the strange way that was left by choices that were, were made. And then that deeper connection that you've developed with, with Yig, probably far more potent than you realized at first. Yeah, how many people are upset that I have slander? On the ship? Yeah. The keeping of exotic animals is not a rare thing for first-class passengers to do. So I don't think anybody's... I mean, unless you're openly showing him to everybody, then probably No, but I mean, like, if I'm out on the deck enjoying the sun... I don't think it's probably a huge deal. After the first couple days, I'm sure some people, staff included, would probably give you a a little bit more space. (laughs) You might have heard from not just a staff member, but probably in one of the ship's like officers that they would just ask that you keep an eye on it. They wouldn't want anything bad to happen to it. And they sort of couch it in that sort of language that it'd be best for everybody if you keep a handle on your snake. Ma'am, you understand, of course. And these are all puffed up men in important right. naval jackets and they're very British with their mustaches and even though I know he doesn't 
slander doesn't go far from me, so it's whatever. No, but again, it's a, it's an imp- it's them imposing their right. or attempting to impose their perspective on you about what needs to be done or what is right. Yeah, what's proper. Correct. Yeah. And you don't give a shit about any of that. Nope. So you uh, continue to enjoy the massive deck. It's sunny. Always. That said, around about the time you're finishing up breakfast, a, uh, a slight man comes over. He's probably no more than five and a half feet tall, maybe 130 pounds. He has rather slick black hair. He has a, a, a very thin, kind of sort of pencil thin mustache, but it's pretty on trend for the era. And uh, he comes over and uh, nods to the table and says, uh, I've been made aware that there are some uh, members of the party here who are interested in translation. I believe he sort of stares down at a card and then puts it in his pocket. Are you um, are you interested in, in some of the ship's services as far as language goes? Uh, actually, yes. Hmm. Very much so. Well, uh, we're in luck. For the first half of the uh, trip here, it seems like there might be a little less news. And so I could introduce you to Martin Leon, who is our uh, resident linguist. Yeah, that would be uh, wonderful. The lady and I would like to learn uh, Cantonese. <laughs> yes, ni hai ho. Many people like to learn it before they head to the Orient. Uh, if you're a fast learner, Martin has a keen way of teaching. And um, you might be able to pick up quite a bit. All right. Excellent. Perfect. So if you'd like to, he's on, he sort of writes down on the card, the deck number and then the uh, room. If you'll just stop down here, he passes the card to you, Miss O'Shea. I'm certain that uh, he'd be available past uh, 9 a.m. Excellent. Thank you. Wonderful. He steps away. So... After breakfast, Miss O'Shea and uh, Mr. Doyle, you stop down to see Mr. Leon, who has a classroom probably um, no bigger than maybe a standard room size. Everything's been pulled out, and there's a, a board against the wall. It looks like a, a blackboard. And then there are tables, four tables in here, and then eight seats. There's nobody else in the room. And so when you walk in, you sort of hear your heels click against the flooring and he, uh, he turns around. He's a, a fairly tall man. So he's just under six feet tall and, uh, he's no more than maybe 140 pounds. So he's very thin. Uh, and he has kind of brown curly hair and a set of spectacles on. And he, uh, takes his glasses off and says, uh, uh good morning, uh, Madame, Monsieur, how are you? Uh, well, doing well. Uh, <laughs> we were both interested in maybe learning some Cantonese before we make port. Oh, certainly. Certainly. Um, it is a, um important language to know. And uh, one that is uh, fairly easy to pick up, provided you are a uh, good student. Were you both good students? He smiles. Yes. Yeah. Um, of course. When would you like to begin? He takes out his pocket watch. Uh, now? Immediately. Whenever is available oh. for you. Well, he looks at the clocks on the wall. So the one thing about the ship that's important to understand is that most clocks that are on the wall have like six clocks on them. So there's a big clock 
And then there's an array of smaller clocks underneath of it. And you get all the different time zones or areas that you would be going to. And he says, uh, I do not work on Sunday. Unless, uh, unless of course, you are paying. He takes out a pack of cigarettes. That is normally my day off. But um, I can understand that some some people, especially business-minded folks, uh, they like to have a little better uh, grip on the language than some others. Lots of money to be made in the audience, of course. Well, sure, yes. So please, sit, sit. He furnishes you with books, a small A5-sized notebook that has pictures and everything in it is written and shown in Cantonese. And then as you get towards the middle of it, it's all converted into English. We have laughing about the fact that I can read it either way. <laughs> right. So what we will do is we will go some very basic portions of the language. We will see what you can pick up and then we will continue to work. I'm available for the next two weeks. After that, get off uh, to a different ship. And so if you're looking to pick up, it will be every day, six days a week. But with 12 solid days in the class and perhaps some homework at night, you should have a passing um, ability to speak. That's all we ask. Good. Now, he turns towards the blackboard and you see him take out the chalk and he writes something, right? And he so you see him, Miss O'Shea, write, my name is Martin Leon. And then he sort of writes Professor Leon. And he says he just goes through some very basic steps. The written stuff for you, Mr. Shea, is a breeze mm-hmm. because the Ankh basically translates everything that you need. Right. The toughest part for you is getting your mouth around speaking the language. Right. Because you're being taught by somebody who speaks it with a French accent, mm-hmm. which is a little bit of a nuance. But that said, if you're willing to invest 12 days, right, I can give you an incremental role for it. Mm-hmm. So definitely because I have linguists. So, all right. So, learning a new skill Mm -hmm. uh, with this increment is going to grant 1d10 plus one to any to to, to language Cantonese. So, I'm going to do it a slight bit differently than that. I'm going to have to put it in a different slot. I'm out of language slots. (laughs) Color me shocked. You're out of language slots, Mr. Doyle. You get. 11 points of Cantonese. Sweet. I can order food now. You can. <laughs> Mr. Shea, uh, you get nine points of Cantonese. This is after two weeks. I didn't learn faster because of my linguist. This is after a, a two-week interval. Oh, so okay. what I'll do, because you have fast learner, the pulp talent is, um, I'm going to roll a second die for you. And I'm going to add 11 points to it. Because she has fast learning. Right, yeah. Because she naturally learns faster. So by the end of two weeks, um, and M- Professor Leon is a fantastic teacher. Uh, he makes probably a reasonable number of passes at you. That's just mm-hmm. going to be pretty common. It's not just that. It's his It's his grip of the language and him being a natural linguist helps, helps a ton, helps you sort of articulate it. Um, he compliments you, Miss O'Shea, since you're probably one of the 
greatest short time students I've had. You would be very surprised if you do not do very well when you get to a country where 90% of the people speak Cantonese. Mm-hmm. But you are far from an expert. So just be mindful and understand that there are many dialects, especially in the Orient. And uh, many words mean similar things, but not the same thing. Right. Uh, to you, Mr. Dole, he, he applauds your ability to learn. He couches a lot of that ability inside being next to a great student. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which, yes or no. But I know. I yeah. know. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. Look at the big brain on Brad. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. So during this day time, Lillian, um, these, these, this time you have these, these couple of weeks, I would assume that while they're in class during the day, um, you may have gotten a hold of perhaps some occult books from Miss O'Shea to read, and she can help you with them at night. But I guess to you, Miss O'Shea, what, what would you be giving her to read that is not mythos related? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, or tangentially mythos. Golden spirit guide. <laughs> Probably uh, my, to start her out, like my father's journals, because that's what I started with. Yeah. So like just basic. Yeah, there's no know, mythos stuff in your father's journals. Uh, it's, it's all, all like it's herbalism all, mm-hmm. and um, astrology, mm-hmm. things like that. It's really good. It's really good base material. So for you, Miss Lane, what's your occult right now? It is 25. Okay, so a ton of this, probably the first half of it, you're pretty well schooled in. Uh, it It isn't something that you don't have value in going back over because obviously opinions and perspectives when it comes to um, a, well, we'll say a learned skill is important. But probably by about day three or day four of that first week, you're you're already in the back half of this book and you're learning about some like methodology between like hit, setting up ritual space and, and how to properly quarter candles and when to intone things more high mysticism, high magic. It almost feels like going to Catholic school for a little bit, like just, just a, a touch, right? Cause you're seeing like, okay, this has to be anointed at this time. And this is the phrase that they say after this. And this is sort of their, the the way they enter sacred space and how they attune things. You get a lot of um you get a lot of stuff that seems like I don't want to say hyper hyperactive uh, Catholicism, but that's a lot of what it feels like uh, probably at first at first breath. Is there anything in any of the the journals or anything that Maeve might be able to loan me that's hones in on like Eastern mysticism since we are going to Shanghai? I don't know. Do you have anything that's more Eastern? I don't think so. So here's what I'll I'll give you. Um, there is a library on board. I'll give you a luck roll Ooh. to see if you can happen upon anything. Okay. You got an extreme success. Three out of 54. Nice. Wild. All right. So cool. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to give you exactly what you deserve. <laughs> oh, no. Wah, <laughs> <laughs> We all deserve something. An extreme role. So you are looking for something that is a cultic nature, but you are also looking for something that is Eastern. And so I'm going to give you exactly what you're looking for. 
because I think extreme successes are exactly that. Mm. You find a copy of the I Ching. And so this is something you have never heard of. It is something that is steeped. One of the five classics, they say, of Confucian uh, Chinese philosophy. Uh, a subtle and poetic system of divination, which is easily applied but capable of deep situational illusion. And so you find something that you could study for those two weeks, uh, which could merit a reasonable increase to your occult. It's in English, right? It is in English. Yep. Just making sure. So then do I do I not help her or am I am? You do. But what you find it at night is that after day three, day four, she has finished your father's journey. Mm. Okay. And she is reading a totally different book, mm-hmm. which you see, of course, on the outside. It's called the I Ching. You're not familiar with it. Right. When she refers back to questions that she might have along the way, you're not necessarily completely familiar with some of the philosophies that that she's talking about. Right. And you both, if you're open to it, Miss Lane, you both sort of get an idea of what the I Ching is about. Oh, sure. I'm a quick study. I'll take a peek at it. The sort of subtext, right, that you're reading, Miss Lane, is that this is sort of the book of changes. That's one of its one of its many names. It talks about using bundles of yellow stalks that are manipulated to produce these sets of six apparent random numbers. They range from six to nine, and there are each uh, each of them have a basically that each set has a sixty four possibilities and it corresponds to a hexagram, which gets looked up in later on in the book. Uh, but the core of the text really is couched in the ability to use this, use these sort of sticks to divine the next thing, right? And it talks a lot about how rulers and um, philosophers used this process to determine divine intent. So they provide a, a guide, right? Uh, and they use those stocks of this yarrow plant to divine what the next movement should be. Now, it could be anything from movement in sort of a philosophical sense to a movement in a applied to um, the state, meaning a government. Uh, and so it, there's all sorts of things that could be used for. And you find it tr- really fascinating. And I'd like you to make me two roles. One is an intelligence role. And that's to see sort of if you can consume the text. Okay. I got a 70 out of 75. Okay. So you manage to consume it in the two weeks that you have. And you will gain eight points of occult. Awesome. Thank you. Over and above that, I'm going to have you make a power roll. Okay. Oh, I get a 90 out of 50. Yeah. So (laughs) you become a little bit, we'll say, obsessive during these two weeks. Obsessive about learning to sort of divine the next thing. You've been sort of cooped up a little in your abilities to look back, right? Psychometry? Right. You've always been sort of glued to the idea that you can find out where things have been. What you really want to know is where things are going. 
and maybe this is sort of brought on by the telegram, right? And the unknown when it comes to your father. And um, probably that whole, you know, book that I got shown back on the first ship I was on, where it showed me my future. It's funny you mention that because you get pretty sort of transfixed on the fact that it's, well, that the sticks used to divine are from the Yarrow plant, which is yellow. <laughs> and the cover to the I Ching is yellow, too. Yes, I noticed that. It's funny how that works. Speaking of my father, have I heard back from my mother yet? I don't know how long that takes. It takes probably two to three days to translate messages back and forth. But you do get you do get a message that comes through. Your mother says that your father may have tuberculosis, that they're not sure yet. They're going to exhaust every physician in Philadelphia to figure out if it's true. But if it is true, they may have to move to a, a drier climate during certain periods because um, the wet weather, they say, is not good for his lungs. Right. I'll have to keep that in the for now in the back of my mind and talk to the doctor about that next time I see him. So do I help Lillian at all with this or does she get so absorbed she doesn't ask for help anymore? By probably the sixth or seventh night, Miss O'Shea, uh, you can't seem to get the book of changes away from her. And you don't really know what's in the text because you haven't been able to chance to, to really read it. Oh. But she really gets involved with it. Um, she's, oddly enough, she's so interested in it that um, she just tells you, listen, two people can't really read the same book at the same time. And you feel a little pang of sort of some of the own me- your own message come back at you. Mm-hmm. And it's a little concerning because you've said that before. Not that she's using it against you on purpose, at least as far as you know. <sighs> but she's very into the I Ching. Are you sure? Like, do you want me to help you set up a space? Do you want me to help you so you can physically understand how this will work? I, I think I have a pretty good understanding of how to how to accomplish this, but would, would you like to read it after I'm done? I have another book I have to study, but as long as you're sure you're okay, I mean... If I... You weren't feeling so hot the last time you read a book for a long time. I'm, I'm just... I, I really think this book might give us all the answers we need, at least all the answers I need. I I really think it's... I think it's going to help us over in Shanghai. Oh, I'm, I don't doubt that, but you never want to just look at just one book. But, I mean, hey, you know what? You, you do your thing. If you have any questions, let me know. Uh, if you need to know how to get a hold of certain plants, what the different moon phases are, any of that stuff, I'll be here. I do want to tell you that your father's journal was very helpful, and I, I really appreciate you letting me study that. I know that that journal is special to you because it, you know, it's your father's. So I, I really appreciate you entrusting me to throw it in a fire or anything like that. I would hope not. Uh, that would not end well. Uh, but, you know, I figured it's a good, it's where I started. So if somebody's going to 
you know, want to learn what I have learned or the way that I've taken, that's, that's what I learned. With his notes and my notes in there, I figured it would all be very helpful. It was, it was very educational and, um, some of the some of the information I already knew, um, but there is quite a bit in there that um, was new to me, and I, I I think it will be helpful going forward. Well, I'm glad you found it helpful. Uh, if you need anything else, just uh, let me know, okay? And be safe. Yes, if I'm going to do anything extreme before I do it, I will come see you. Well. Even just reading a book sometimes can be harmful. As we've seen. Yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, be careful and don't be afraid to ask for help. Okay. Thanks. So the better part of the next week's, the uh, the next portion of your journey for you, for all of you really, is spent in a little less of a, um, we'll say, a educational mode in, in, the, in the schooling sense, right? The books get put away and the um, more athletic portions of your various desires come out, right? So, Jack, it's at this point you stop being the student and you become the teacher to both Miss Lane and Miss O'Shea, uh, both of whom want to learn different things. Mm -hmm. So I suppose I would give it to the three of you and or perhaps to, to Jack for that matter. Um, where would you teach them and how would you teach one of them to be better with a knife versus the other one to be better with handguns? Well, I, I figure if we go back to the, uh, the sporting area, mm -hmm. that would be the best place to do it. Okay. And I can, I can teach one, you know, some method, you know, some moves or methods or stuff like that and make it practice while I'm teaching the other one and then kind of go back and forth. Okay. So which one of them would you start with first? Uh, I'd probably start with Lillian because she's already got a really good uh, grasp of how to shoot. She just doesn't know how to shoot handguns. Sure. So I can uh, begin with her. Okay. So why don't you educate us on how you're going to show her how to, to shoot? What what process would you go through? Just high level. You know, uh, get the right stance for her. How, how to hold a gun, how to revolve her properly. I mean, she like she knows, like I said, she knows basically how to hold a gun, but revolvers are, are different than a rifle or a shotgun. Sure. You know, okay. Good thing where, you know, you get her in the pose and kind of correct it. And okay, yeah. Uh, um, what's your current handgun skill, Lillian? It is 20. So handgun is 20 base. So so here's what I want I want you to do, Jack. I want you to make me a handgun roll as a profession rather than an actual targeting roll, meaning you're teaching. Mm -hmm. That's 29 under 84. Okay, so hard success. Uh, and so he goes through a few things with you, uh, Lillian. He seems to correct quite a bit of the way you stand. And also sort of how you hold the revolver, not just at your hands, but also the, your stance at the shoulder level to be able to take the recoil. Uh, what sort of revolver are you giving her to use? She has a 38. Okay. So the kick on a 38 is pretty light. A kick on a revolver is even less because it's, you're, it's not a, it's, you're not firing as many bullets at the same time. Are you going to have her shoot at targets or are you going to have her shoot at 
objects off the ship. Uh, targets probably. Okay. So this is not a new skill that you would be learning. This is a skill you would be raising. So under our travel portion, it will it will raise a little different. So increasing the skill is going to grant you a D4 points to the skill. Um, but two skills could be raised during this time. So my question to you, Miss Lane, is will you be... A, you're going to be working on occult and on handgun. So handgun is your other one. You got the eight base points from handgun because you've you are eight base points from uh, a cult from the I Ching because you made a phenomenal role at finding it. Um, so I'm going to give you that D4, but there's something I'd like to be able to potentially augment that with. And that is, uh, I would like Jack to make a handgun roll. Another one. Okay. Hard difficulty, right? And if you do, will be a bonus that gets applied to Miss Lane's handgun skill. Okay. So the real question is, how good of a teacher are you? Uh, 18, so under 84. Yeah. yeah, it's not. Yes, that is. A... Is it extreme? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. So we'll give you a D4 uh, raise. So that is, oh, you got a four. Very good. And then I'm going to add in uh, two more points to that. So you can raise your handgun by six points during this little boat ride. Uh, you also go through a considerable amount of 38 caliber ammunition. Um, but by the end of it, Miss Lane, you feel a lot better about using a handgun. Uh, and you could even, if you wanted to, for the next um, interval episode that you might be a part of, if you want to sort of dedicate some of that time to more use of the handgun, you could. So you rolled the D. I don't roll a deep. Okay, just making sure. Yeah, I raised one. The, the, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. All right, so I went from a 20 to a 26. Mm-hmm. When Jack is teaching me, do we have a moment to talk? Certainly. Take it away. Take the narrative. It's all yours. Jack? Yeah. Did we ever send a message to Carlton Ramsey about where we were going next? Yeah, I sent it uh, shortly before we You left. did? Okay. With some other requests in there as well? Or? Yeah, we, I will see if he can find us some uh, help when we get to Shanghai. I, I don't want you to feel like that I was being put off when I got that message about my father being ill. Um, I know you didn't say that if I needed to go back to the States after we got to Shanghai, you know, that would be understandable. But... That, that was the first communication I got from any of my family in the entire time we've been gone. My, my father wished he had had three boys instead of just two. And as much as as much as I, I love him and care about him, he, I, I'm better served out here than at home playing a lady in waiting. You know, I understand completely. I doubt I don't really see you uh, sitting at home. Uh, moping around the house while he uh, fights whatever it is he's fighting. My mother sent a message back stating that it, it they think it might be tuberculosis, which it's not a good prognosis, but it doesn't mean he's going to pass away tomorrow. I just don't want you to think that I'm some sort of heartless person <laughs> that I, no. I, I care very much about my family, but I also 
am not going to bend to their to the standards that they they want me to want me to have. I have ideas and things that I want to do, and that's never been okay with any of them. Well, you know, I mean, I, there's no way I would feel you were heartless. Out of everyone, you'd be the least of all, maybe the doctor, but. <laughs> he cares way more about people than I. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for teaching me to shoot the the handgun better. I. Yeah, any, you know, just trying to keep all of us alive. Well, so next time you throw me one in in a fight, at least that you know, I'm able to use it. <laughs> you know how to use it. With Miss Lane a little steadier with the revolver, um, as the um, sun allows. Miss uh, O'Shea had some request for a little bit more, uh, we'll say, um, skill with the blade. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, uh, how are you approaching him, or how are how is how are you approaching her? Which one do you use? Uh, I need to cut people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty much. Well, I mean, it, it, I'll it, probably just ask him, like, do you know how to? use like knives like this oh yeah yeah i've used i mean not particularly that knife but uh i learned how to use a knife in the service so oh. trench warfare you know i've just been using it by instinct and i want to make sure that i can use it to defend myself better right uh you know what i think we should probably work on uh blocks and parries and that kind of uh thing probably uh because right now you seem to get uh the swinging it around pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I've been pretty lucky with that. <laughs> so yeah, I'll show uh, Maeve how to use it defensively. Okay. So I, I think I'd like to use the same sort of idea, the t- mm-hmm. same sort of teaching idea. Just as a, a me- it, the mechanics in the game don't allow for that, but I like the idea if your skill with fighting brawl is above 50, which I know it is, mm-hmm. there's no reason why you couldn't show her how to be better. Right. And you're a quick study, which is which is always helpful, mm-hmm. uh, and especially in this sense because you have a limited amount of actual time during this inter- this this sort of travel portion that you're getting, so that'll be super helpful. Uh, so Jack, take it away. Seventeen under seventy-five. Okay, so that's good. Seventy-five. Yeah, so it's not a hard. It's a hard success. Yeah. It's not an extreme. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're a quick study. And so I'm going to roll a D4, and I will augment that by Jack's hard success roll. So that's seven points that you get. Sweet. Are you professional now? Yeah, 54. So she takes to this teaching much like a fish to water, or say, a snake to sand. At the end of the week, you are a little concerned you might have made her a little too dangerous now, especially when you decide to sort of put away the um, dull (laughs) Mm -hmm. stage versions that you get for more real versions. Don't use that dagger. (laughs) (laughs) But you definitely feel like you have a better handle on things. Uh, So dinner that night on sort of midway through the trip is uh, something rather different than what you're used to, Jack. Um, It's lo mein noodles. And this sort of braised pork, um, it's really good, um, but it is not what you are used to. It, 
somebody tries to equate it with like spaghetti and meatballs and you don't get that. Like you don't understand why someone would do that. It's, and then somebody else says, well, it's sort of like beef stroganoff, but it's not that either. Um, it's spicier than you're used to. There's um, pepper in it, some serious pepper. And your waiter tells you that he's trying to prepare you for your arrival. So you had better prepare for a spicier food. Yeah, it's, it's all the food there this spicy? Uh, no, no, sir, not, not in all of it, but um, many of the dishes come spicier than um, most Europeans are used to. Okay. You get a beautiful full moon over one side of the vessel, and you get sort of a light dusting of clouds over the ocean. And in the distance, you can see fish leaping out of the water, just dancing there in the moonlight. It's a pretty relaxing scene. And we're going to spoil it by going over clues. I mean, you are investigators. Right. And at this point, you've had roughly two weeks of, you know, relaxation, decompression, knife work, gunplay, and, you know, learning Cantonese. That's how we relax here. Knife work, gunplay, and learning languages. Okay, so we do know that uh, some of these items that have been shipped out of England have been shipped to Pale Viper, Care of Ho Fang. That's definitely something we're going to have to follow up on. We need to know what's going on with those parts. We can definitely look up Ho Fang. The matchbook address is 10 Lantern Street. The dancing tiger. Stumbling tiger. Stumbling tiger, yep. Yeah. It's got to be a clue for something. We have to figure something out. Well, wasn't the matchbook found on Elias? Yeah. It was found. Or in his. It, it was found in room 10, when, in room 410. Mm-hmm. When you found his body, so ripped apart by the Brotherhood. There's a very likely reason that he had it. I doubt he's been carrying it since then just because he needed matches. Right. Was he a smoker? A uh, pipe, yes. Okay. Fairly uh, regular pipe smoker. Okay. So he would have gone through those matches well before he got back to New York. And then we believe that Jack Brady is somewhere in Shanghai based on that note written in... Uh, um, oh, right. Yeah. Hold on. <clears throat> Let me... Okay. Mr. Nelson in the Victoria Bar, which we never went to, he said that Jack Brady was alive. So it had to be in that note, in that letter, right? Yeah. There was a partial uh, letter written in uh, Gavigan's. Right. So we don't have a lot to go on, but we have a few threads to pull on. Everybody everybody make me a spot hidden roll. I rolled a one. Ooh, fantastic. 35 out of 75. 63 out of 88. In the distance, in the sea, Miss O'Shea, you and Miss Lane see something fantastic. You see a form breach the ocean. It's a whale. It's beautiful. It comes out of the sea. For you, Jack, it's a little different. With those uh, fairly sharp set of eyes, you see something riding on the back of this whale. It's a form. Like a humanoid form? You think? It's pretty far. It's only there for a few moments, but as it sort of goes up, reaches the apex of its rise out of the water. You see one and then two and then three things clinging to this whale. 
and there's something unimaginable about them. They're wearing something just strange. It's sort of mottled clothing or some sort of coral pieces. And again, you see it for the briefest of moments. It's not even enough for your eyes and brain to truly wrap around the entire image. But you see the whale and you see what comes with it. Did you see that? The whale? Yeah. It's- no, no, on its back. There a were, there a were, fin? There were figures on it. Like, something was hanging on to it. Uh, I believe they get barnacles. You know, maybe. Maybe it was just a trick of the light, but I could swear I saw something clinging to its back. Hmm. Multiple somethings. I mean... I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I mean, we've seen some shit. I mean, but exactly how much have you had to drink before dinner? Um, it's a typical amount. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So with that little nugget there at the end, um, any other um, items you'd like to get to on your traveling agenda? Not as of right now. No. Well, the nice part about our Travel to the Orient series is that it's going to afford us a little deeper look at each one of our investigators as they move along. And as we get closer and closer to Shanghai, there may in fact be new voices that you hear in this space. So, stay tuned. We'll see you next week. <laughs>